Hello and welcome to the IGN UK podcast. I am Matt Perslow and today with me is Jesse Gomez. Hello. Hello, Jesse. I hope you've all had a lovely day. Yeah, we're recording. It's quite a late uh, recording today, so uh, mm. you feeling feeling ready to clock off, Jesse? Feeling I'm ready just to- so excited to relax and watch some nice TV after this. Lovely. Well, today we have a very special guest with us coming all the way from his time off. It's Simon Cardi. <laughs> oh, hello, yes. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. people thought they'd have a week off of me. No dice, I'm afraid. <laughs> uh, it is my week off, but do you know what? I've, I've answered the call. I am here to talk about some things I've been playing and watching, because that's what we do on this podcast. Mm-hmm. You've well, always you're... got that podcast itch. You're always ready just to spring to action. <laughs> I just like to have someone to speak to. It's been a long oh, week. <laughs> you're just feeling lonely. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, you're specifically here, Cardi, because when we had... A new game from Nintendo in, you decided that you were going to be the one to play it and yes. then took a week a off brave soul. to go and yes. play it. So we had to summon you back in to say, Simon Cardi, can you please tell us all about Pokemon? I don't know which version you've got. Have you got is it Brilliant Diamond and Shining Pearl or the other which way around? One do you think, which one do you think I have? You I, seem like a pearl kind of. No, lad. I reckon you've got Diamond. I am a Diamond geezer. Oh, <laughs> Matt knew it. I am... <laughs> playing Brilliant Diamond, um, and I'm having a lovely time with it because I like this era of Pokemon. Kind of the mm. Gold Silver generation is my favourite, but then Ruby, yeah. Sapphire, Diamond, and Pearl, the ones that came afterwards, are kind of also very good. I think I think it's after this they tailed off a bit for me, but I mm. yeah I like Sarah Pokemon because it's where they're you're doing different stuff. It's taken the core you know Pokemon of going town to town and doing gyms. But it's also yeah. adding a few more fun elements to the mix to make it not as linear. And I feel like it's past this point where you get to like some of the more complicated stuff where they're just throwing so many different mechanics into the mix that it's all just a bit like, I don't know, I just want to play, you know, I want to go back to basics and play red and blue again. So this is kind of like a sweet spot for me because Diamond and Pearl, you've got the classic Pokemon journey if you set off from your town your mum gives you your bag and your running shoes or whatever and you're off to catch every Pokemon and become the best and yeah, everyone knows how Pokemon works I think by now you know and it you're going yeah like I said you're going town to town defeating gyms but it's also got the thing that Sword and Shield didn't do which is you've got this kind of like enemy organisation called Team Galactic and if you've like these we should say this, these are remasters of what like a 15 year old game at this yeah, they're point? Yeah, from, they're from like the early DS era, isn't it? Yeah, I think that r- it's roughly 15 years, and yeah. so, like, if you've played those games, you are just getting those games again but in remastered 3D and it looks lovely and it plays lovely. But Is it is it a remaster or is it a remake? Is it Does it look like Sword and Shield, but it's using the same game it's system? It's not quite... It's not quite Sword and Shield level. It looks more like, you know, when they did the Let's Go version. So mm-hmm. it's like, like, yeah. and like all the characters look like massive children rather than adults. They're really <laughs> weird character models that I quite enjoyed. Uh, almost like chibi-fied in a way. Yeah. But, um, I'm just having a nice time because it's like, it's what I need this week, I think, when I've got my time mm. off. I can just like put on some TV, some mindless TV and some mindless Pokemon that I can play in my sleep and just kind of play through it. And... That's what I'm saying. Like Sword and Shield didn't really do this, whereas Diamond and Pearl does, which is you still got those like sight, almost like things that take you off the beaten path. So like Sword and Shield kind of just didn't last very long, and I found it quite dull because you were just literally going, like we're saying, town to town doing gym battles. The roads yeah. between those gyms were like 
two minutes long there was no real challenge whereas this time like you're going into like long caves you're going into buildings where you have to defeat lots of people and those are the bits i always liked about pokemon and you're getting that in this plus just what makes the originals great yeah i'm just i'm having a lovely time with it how much of a pokemon game do you usually play like do you see all the way through you just kind of like i've got my fill now and now i'm kind of done i I normally i finish it do the elite four and then play a little bit of the post game i never really like back in the old days like when the originals came out i would try and collect every pokemon i don't do that anymore like i kind of just complete the quest and then stop that's what's good about diamond pearl is it's quite lengthy like i've got five or six badges out of the eight now and i'm Mm. 23 24 hours in like it's like a 40 hour game like if you do everything and that's what i'm enjoying like you're not getting shortchanged in this in this game at all and do you think you know like i know you've discussed like what sort of a remake slash remaster it is yeah do you, does it do you feel like you like the the new feeling of it is it worth that kind of upgrade i i would say are you getting much more from it if you if you already had the ds version and you still have your ds like are you getting much more from just picking that up and playing it probably not it does look a lot nicer mm. it loads a lot quicker like it's nice just to like that the, the battles are now 3d and you see the effects come in properly and like yeah. i think the original ds ones were you know they were kind of 2.5 d ish like i don't have very strong memories of diamond pearl ruby and sapphire is the last one i remember like vividly so this one's mm. kind of like i'm half remembering things as i go on but i'm just um yeah i'm having a nice time i've named my rival ham so every time uh, <laughs> he encounters me it's like ham wants to fight so Lovely. Yeah. What is it with you? Like your Spartan tag is ham. Is ham? Well. I don't know. It's just a. I, I go in and out of naming things, and like at the moment, any yeah. Whenever I'm asked to name something custom in a game, I, I'm just going for ham. That's not a bad so name. I've got um currently like I try and I always do this with Pokemon. I try and mix it up every time I play it, and not just get the same old Pokemon. But I end up just building the same party as ever, just because <laughs> they're trusty and reliable. Like. I always from the original 151. Not quite, (laughs) but whenever I play a Pokemon, like one of my favourite Pokemon is Golduck. I always need to have Mm. a Golduck in there. I love Golduck. Not only is he very powerful, you've got your Psychic and your Water Moves and your Ice, but like he's just a cool looking Pokemon. And it means you get to have Psyduck with you for a long time as well. So I've got my Golduck. I'm having a lovely time. Who who was your starting Pokemon? I went for for Turtwig. I went for the Mm. grass Pokemon. So I've currently got him fully evolved. So he's basically a big tortoise with a tree growing on his shell. Um, And I think the one thing that I'd forgotten about Diamond Pearl that I'm enjoying a lot, and it's similar... I just sometimes like these quite mundane things in in games is the... um, Grand Underground system where you do all the mining. It kind of reminds me of... Like it's one of the more dull parts of Mass Effect 2, but when you're doing the mining and you're just doing the probing around all the plants, <laughs> I find that I was doing that for like an hour at a time. Just it was quite smooth, quite soothing, putting on like some music or like half watching mm. something while doing that. And that's why I'm doing in the underground, like in Brilliant Diamond. You kind of, if you don't understand what that is, like a few hours into the game, you get an explorer's kit, which means you can go underground and below the full world map is a whole set of underground tunnels that are very extensive and you can just go around and just basically take a pickaxe to a wall and then you just get like mini puzzles whenever you do that and you need to find some like gemstones maybe you'll find a thunderstone or a fossil it's just nice it's a nice little you know sometimes it's nice to go fossil hunting 
you know, my dad likes to do that. He goes to Lyme Regis like two times a year with his little hammers and tries to find fossils. So maybe maybe I'm following in my father's footsteps through Pokemon Brilliant Diamond. One emotional <laughs> story. It's been a it's been a big week off for me. I've discovered a lot yeah. about myself. Clearly, clearly. And in terms of other things that you've done on your week off, Cardi, you were speaking to me not so long ago. You've you finished Arcane, a show that I, I recommended. Have. Not so yes, long ago. I think we briefly spoke about this when you'd watched what the first two or three episodes. The first two point, episodes, yeah. So yeah, all it's... nine episodes are now out on Netflix, and I think mm-hmm. the both. I mean, IGN gave it a ten as like yeah. a series score, Jesus. Um, and I think both me and Cardi can wholeheartedly say it's a show worth watching. Well, I I think it's hard to argue against that ten after watching it, and this is like coming from me who a never has played a single second of League of Legends in his life. Obviously, mm. I, we've done our documentary about KDA before. I like all the Riot music stuff and what they've done with that before. And just the animation in this show, I think we talked about it before, it's just, it's second to none. And yeah, and I'm not a huge animate, like animated per- mm-hmm. TV person anyway. Like I'm not big into any sort of anime. I'm not like massively into animated films either but for some reason this just grabbed me and i couldn't stop watching and yeah for characters i previously knew nothing about but like it's remarkable how much they make you care about these characters yeah like it's i think the thing i love about it so much is how character focused it is it's it's very world oriented and it kind of builds these two like the story of this incredible kind of city called piltover that has like these slum areas and you know Mm -hmm. this slum wants to be independent and they are to a degree cast as kind of the villains but also very very sympathetic villains and you understand Mm -hmm. that they're fighting for their freedom you know they want to be free of this kind of like oppressive like upper class regime that's in in like piltover and they want to be their own nation and i think like like that's a like quite a resonant sort of idea in kind of the world um, but the way yeah. that it, it uses those characters and, and pulls them apart and pulls them back together again over, like, what's that show set over? Like, maybe, like, it's got, like, a good kind of, like, five or six-year time gap, right? Yeah, I mean, the first three episodes, yeah, take place over the course of a couple, a day or two, and then, mm-hmm. yeah, we fast-forward in time for the other six episodes taking place. I don't know what must be roughly 10 years in the future, mm-hmm. maybe. Uh, and, yeah, when it made that time jump that's when i really fell in i, I really enjoyed the first few episodes but f- episodes four five six seven especially for me were just unbelievable like it still it ends very well as well but like there's so many great moments like the opening to i think like there's so many you can listen to the whole album now as well which is mm-hmm. amazing like the music they've made for this show is if you're into like kda or true damage or any of the music right i've made for you'll find something to love here because it, it did the impossible it made me like an imagine dragon song which is <laughs> like you know a show is a 10 out of 10 when even imagine dragons are passable in it and mm-hmm. yeah it's the i think my favorite bit was the end of episode seven there's a fight sequence where kind of it switches into a different animation style for a full minute and starts playing this song that also has like a ticking like a mm-hmm. stopwatch i bet you know the bit i'm talking about Matt. it's yeah. just unbelievable animation like it's just so cool and yeah i've finished watching it and i've just been going back and watching scenes over and over again like their music videos like yeah, yeah. it's unbelievably it, good like Honestly, I think for me, it's kind of like I thought I'd never see animation that I enjoyed more than Spider-Man's Into the Spider-Verse. And for me, Mm -hmm. I think, and part of it is just because I love the world design of of like Piltover, especially that very stylish steampunk 
stuff yeah. which calls a lot back to kind of like the look of Dishonored. But exactly, I was thinking Dishonored and like Bioshock Infinite as well at yeah. times. I was like, I'm well into this. <laughs> mm-hmm. But the way that kind of like it does these kind of like 3D characters over 2D backdrops, but the characters are like colored in with 2D planes, so they look like they're watercolored to a degree. Like that combined with the visual style and the variety of the characters, I just think is absolutely astonishing. How, how yeah. much does it introduce, like, the world of League of Legends? Because I think back to, like, you know, maybe prior animated shows or films, like the World of Warcraft film, where, you know, it tries to cram in so much. Like, you said it there, Cardi, like, you don't know anything about League of Legends. Mm-hmm. Same for me, but it's it's not overwhelming. It's done, obviously, well, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. Uh, like, yeah, they do an incredible job at world building instantly. And, like, yeah. it's just, I think they do that great thing of making the start so relatable. Like, it starts on a very small scale. It's just, like, these you get to know these kids which is like everyone can relate to that everyone's been a child and then it builds like slowly like like over the course of nine episodes it does a lot in that time but it's never overwhelming mm. like it never feels okay. too much and like yeah how, how long are these episodes 40 like minutes 40 minutes so yeah that seems really like i'm it's, quite excited i was going to watch an episode yesterday but i just didn't get a chance to do it and to hear like because i've only heard like from people who love league of legends saying this is fantastic and to hear mm. obviously someone who has no experience in it saying it's really good like that's yeah Oh, it's easily awesome. one of the best best things I've seen this year. Easily. But I think, like, for anybody at home that has kind of watched this show and it's just like, well, where do I go next? It's it, interesting that actually Riot dropped a whole new video game, like, just as mm-hmm. uh, as Arcane came to an end. So there is a new uh, game called Ruin King, a League of Legends story, which is a sort of RPG, but JRPG-styled role-playing game um, that's based in the rune terror world which is where league of legends is set and so kind of like if you're looking for somewhere to go beyond the show but you don't where you look at league of legends and think i don't want to play a 5v5 moba that's got no story Mm. well ruin king i think is certainly from what i've played of it so far is the game to go for um so it's it's definitely like unfortunately it has not got a budget to contend with the like of arcane (laughs) or anything like that Mm -hmm. but um it's a imagine like a Diablo kind of perspective top down RPG, okay. um, mm. but it's not set in Piltover. It actually introduces you to a completely different side of Rune Terror. It goes over to Bilgewater, which is the pirate town, and you're playing your initial character is Lady F- is Miss Fortune, who is essentially a kind of like this pirate styled lady that has just defeated Gangplank, who is the leader of Bilgewater, and she's now sort of inherited kind of power over this town and so it what it does then is because it's a party-based rpg like something like a final fantasy would be it starts to pull in other champions from league of legends and bring their stories into it but i think the clever thing it does is is it brings people from very very different areas of rune terror into it so you then meet ilawi um who is kind of like she's almost got like an african tribe sort of vibe to it and she's got characters with her and mm. her personal story is very much to do with her. she is kind of like connected to their gods and she can sort of like yeah. see like she's able to hear messages from their gods to kind of judge people and stuff like that. You then get Brown, who is from like their Nordic sort of side. He's very kind of big, um, like a very gentle giant sort of thing, but he's got a Viking sort of element to him. Uh, you then meet Yasuo, who is... I hope I'm pronouncing all of these names right, by the way, for <laughs> anybody that is a big uh, League fan. Um, even though the voices are... It, it's a voiced RPG for kind of like probably 60% of it. 
Um, okay. But I do quite often forget how you pronounce these things. But he's uh, Yasuo is more of a, like an like a, a samurai kind of warrior, okay. and he's got a um, someone that he's bought to build water on like a pilgrimage, and she's kind of like you don't. It does eventually reveal who it is, and I'm not going to say for you know spoiler reasons. But the mm. way it does that, like he's bringing this mysterious woman across kind of the seas to this town. And basically, like, the storyline unites all of these people together and realizes that kind of, like, they've got a shared kind of journey to take. And then it becomes, like, this party-based RPG, which is, as say, from a top-down perspective, in terms of exploring the world, it's a little bit Diablo-y. But when you come across enemies, it's like a Final Fantasy game where you've got your team on the left of the screen and the enemy team on the so, right. So it's turn-based? It is turn-based, okay. but what it has okay. is a very interesting approach to the way that you do battle so the, at the bottom of the screen there's kind of like a timeline almost like kind of like in video editing i suppose and it plots <laughs> okay. on that where everyone's next turn is going to be mm-hmm. and so when you um so you can either do instant attacks which will do you here and now and then push you further down the uh yep. the track for when your yeah. next turn comes up or you can do what are called lane abilities and kind of that laning stuff like i guess is a throwback to league of legends actually being set on lanes but here it's a case of that timeline is split up into three bars so the top one is speed the middle one is regular and the bottom Mm -hmm. one is power so if you start to do a lane attack you can on, on regular it will do a certain amount of damage and it will do a certain amount of kind of other magical or physical kind of debuffs or stuff like that if you opt to do it at speed, you won't have the delay on the cast. Your delay will be a lot shorter, but it won't do as much power. Whereas if you opt for power, it puts you further day. It takes you longer to cast it, but it will do more damage or its buff will be better or stuff like that. So mm-hmm. it's about juggling that. And obviously, because you can see where the enemies are going to attack you on that timeline, you know, okay, this enemy is going to do an attack on me. What I can do is I can go into the speed lane and I can cast my uh, attack quicker, and I know that this attack will debuff them to prevent them from attacking next turn. So it's all about juggling that. And then it's further complicated (laughs) by the fact that each match has, well, each fight has kind of like a randomized effect on it. So it might be, let's say, healing. So it puts a little box on that timeline, and it's like, if you can time it so that when you do, when you set up your attacks, you know you're going to cast it at the time that this box is on the timeline. Yeah, you'll get the healing benefit from it. So when that time, when the timeline runs across and it comes to the point that that box is on it, as long as your characters are in it, ready to cast at that point, you'll get healed. And it works for the enemy as well. So what you can do is if there's like. You can get debuffs like the we poison in this field. So what mm-hmm. you can do is you can use attacks that push enemies further down the timeline and delays their time to push them to when the poison cloud will appear, and then they'll but take that, damage from that. That does sound a bit more like interested and a bit more in depth compared to like just this bog standard like you know turn based combat mm-hmm. that a lot of people are used to. It reminds it- me a lot of how card games work in the fact that mm. kind of like in something like Hearthstone. There are a lot yeah. of doing very, very clever plays and understanding yeah. that this card will do this, but it's not about what it's doing immediately this turn. It's, it's about the impact ahead, it has it? two turns it's like, ahead. It's just like, yeah, it's like chess, isn't it? It's kind of like the oldest of games, like thinking 
you got to think ahead. And like you said about this timeline, is this a timeline that's like constantly ticking or do you have as long as you need so, to pick yeah, what you want to do? Because it's fundamentally turn-based, what it is, is it's essentially showing you what the cooldown is on your attack, right? Okay. I attack now and it means that I have to wait till this far on the timeline until I can attack again. Okay. If you If you do a casting move, it means you've got to wait for that casting to be able to start. It'll do it and then it'll show you where you'll be till you can do your next move so it's all about knowing when to cast or when to do immediate moves and if you Mm -hmm. should be doing long weights short weights or regular weights and also balancing that out with how much damage do i want to do how much do i immediately need healing now how much do i immediately need to do debuffs on the enemy now Uh, enemies can do things where they'll be like oh this enemy has literally just set a bomb in their in their hand the only way you can stop it is by doing a speed move on them now and that will disarm them. Otherwise, when you kill them, they're going to detonate the bomb and all of your team are going to take damage. So all of these very, very small kind of tweaks make it like a really intricate battle system. Has, I'm, I'm has, League, of, has League of Legends had like a push like this before? Because it seems like it's, it's like this one-two punch combo where you have Arcane, which is like apparently a really brilliant animated series and then just a really good RPG coming out near enough at the same time. Mm-hmm. Is is this like new for League of so Legends to I, have something like this? Because Arcane is so story based, there's been kind of like a much bigger push around here to make the universe a bit more front and center. So yeah. also very recently, so there are two kind of main League of Legends games. There's League of Legends as the five v five MOBA, but there's mm. also Legends of Rune Terror, which is their card game, which is a lot like Hearthstone. I actually think it's a little bit better than Hearthstone. But what they've done around here is there is now the single player version of Legends of Rune Terror available, which is the other one I would suggest. That's completely free to play, whereas Rune King is like a £25, like okay. 25, 30 hour RPG. And that's RPG. playable in everything as well. This kind of just, I'm sure there's a lot of Riot fans being like, this hasn't snuck up on anyone, but this game, like I hadn't heard of it until you said it. It's just a, a, yeah, just, a big RPG that's come out for every console that yeah, yeah, is it's apparently a, very, very good. <laughs> yeah, I'm playing it on PlayStation. It's on PC. It's obviously on Xbox. I think mm. it is it on Switch. It's on as Switch. Well? Yeah, yeah, it's on Switch. It mm. seems like it's just kind of come out of nowhere. Like I've not, I've never really paid much attention to League at all. But now it's just suddenly like a, a great push yeah. of like three fantastic things to experience. So I knew Ruin King was in development. So it's not actually been made by Riot. It's part of what's called okay. the Riot Forge, which is Riot are now working with other developers which I guess are more talented in the regions that they want to expand into. So they've got Airship Syndicate who have made RPGs before to build this one. And so you can tell that it's not like, as I say, it's not as high budget as like, a, a, like you know, when you look at how KDA looks, you know, that yeah, you can yeah. tell is an in-house Riot product. Whereas this isn't quite that good, but it's still got like that lovely art style to it. It's that kind of everything mm-hmm. slightly chunky on the corners and it's slightly painterly. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And the same I mean, with so, like Rune Terror, you can tell is a Riot game just because it's so fluid with the way it plays. And I think mm. if you're looking to, if you've played Arcane and you want a story that's set in Piltover, like go and play Rune Terror because the first storyline in it, and it's it plays a little bit like Slay the Spire to a degree, I suppose. Okay. Um, but that is set like within the storyline of not of Arcane the show, but it kind of deals with the central relationship between Jinx and Vi, which is center to kind of Arcane, mm-hmm. that is very much dealt with in Rune Terror's single player. And that's free to I'm, play. Like if you want to go and yeah, play Yeah, I'm that, absolutely going to check out Rune Terror. You, you've sold that to me because I, I do like my Hearthstone, I like my status fire and yeah, a free single player 
then I'm definitely going to check yeah. that out. It's kind of, it's weird. It's what I've wanted for the last five years from Overwatch. I wanted like a big Netflix <laughs> TV show. I thought it would have mm-hmm. been perfect. Like I thought that would be the hero. Like she, I know League of Legends isn't a hero shoot, but it's a you know a massive cast of characters. Yeah, yeah. I felt yeah. I felt like Blizzard were going to be because they always did their cinematics. Obviously, we all know what's going on Blizzard the last year or two. Like they've got mm. other things to worry about right now, so that's not forth- at the forefront of their mind. But yeah. yeah, I always thought it's weird to me that I never expected yeah league of legends to be the ones that have kind of i suppose you know a lot of credit should actually go to fortiche as well the animation company that make arcane and do all the music Mm. videos for riot like they're just masters and like yeah i just yeah i'm i want Mm. i can't believe this i now want just as much league of legends stuff as i can get without actually having any interest in league of legends I was going to say the same thing. This, this is the first time I've ever had any interest in League of Legends, just from like this sudden influx of fantastic stuff to play and watch as well. It's genuinely quite exciting. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. an exciting time for them. And they've also got like the other thing they've announced is there's a League of Legends like assist fighter, so like a street fighter. Um, <laughs> like going with, all out. with League of Legends characters, and it genuinely looks like I'm not into it those sort amazing. of games. Yeah, yeah, the animation on that is outstanding. And it's always yeah. it's like it's still only in R and D, and it's it already looks That's fantastic. Mad. They're just going all out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, nuts. season two for Arcane already announced as well. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, Jesus, bring it on! Absolutely. Also, bring it on. Tell us, Jesse. Bring on your thoughts about Battlefield 2042, a big first-person shooter <laughs> that recently dropped that I know you've played a lot of. I have played a stupid amount of Battlefield 2042. <laughs> Not as um, good as Halo, is it? It isn't. That's my, like, that's, that's my that, only input in this uh, conversation. Exactly. You go for I mean, it. And this is the thing, like, you, everyone knows what Battlefield plays like. It's the same for Call of Duty as well. It's just one of those things that Battlefield 2042 is just ultimately more Battlefield. And at this point, it's just fine. I think for me, I'll always prefer how Battlefield plays compared to something like Call of Duty, just because I prefer those larger maps, you know, where vehicles come into play. Um, but as of now, the core offering of 2042 just feels a bit basic like you know breakthrough and conquest of the modes which have always just been you know standard battlefield fair it's exactly um, what you would expect from the game except this time it now has 128 players over 64 and Mm -hmm. even for myself like as as much of a spectacle as that can be it's a bit too hectic at times doesn't feel quite balanced i don't know like what you think about it yeah i mean i've not played anywhere you literally went to the review event i say went to like experienced it from (laughs) from yeah but you so you've played a lot more of it than i have and i've not i've only put like maybe kind of like a few hours into each mode at the moment but Mm. my feeling is is i've got a lot of very very fond memories of kind of the earlier era of battlefield like i was a huge fan of bad company 2 and i was actually quite a big fan of battlefield 4 um yeah but since battlefield 1 i've kind of tapered off um yeah yeah for me kind of coming back to it after having like not like dedicated myself to the series for a while Mm. this feels like the actual idea of conquest is still there and is pretty much exactly the same game we played i agree too many players at that kind of scale i just feel like you barely get a chance to get started right when you're playing breakthrough it is utter chaos and i would usually be you know all for that but it can be completely overwhelming where there's 128 players there's like 10 tanks across each team and helicopters flying like Mm -hmm. it ends up being like what you see in the trailer which is just complete chaos yeah is by the way is breakthrough what i would know as rush from bad company Sort of, it's kind of like one team is defending an area and then when you capture two points from the attacking yeah, team, yeah. you get pushed back. Classically known as Rush. Right, okay. 
the one thing that I do that I really don't like, and I feel like the purity of the class system has just been completely disintegrated. Yeah, Whereas exactly. That's my main issue. I really like, and I think everybody that listens to this podcast knows that kind of like we've all been fans of shooters like Overwatch and specifically Rainbow Six as well. We've played mm-hmm. a lot of. And I really like the the purity of knowing who the other character is and knowing exactly what the counter is. And I think yeah. the beauty of original Battlefield was there were four roles and it was all about the interplay between these really distinct roles. Like it was engineers, it was medics, it was assaults and it was recons. And yeah, everybody yeah. knew kind of how those roles fitted in to the point where it was like the engagement's distances between certain characters was different to ensure that kind of like this character has the advantage at short range, but this one at longer range and yeah. all the way to middle range. And, and the way pe- all people that understood that balance, yeah. especially like, you know, I'm going to be the anti-tank person. I'm going to help my team specifically for this round and whatnot. Mm-hmm. That's just it's completely lost because now they've introduced specialists where you have like maybe I think 12 kind of unique characters and you know one of them has a grappling hook one of them has deployable shields but all of them can be a sniper all of them can be able to heal all of them can have rocket launchers it's I'm gonna sound like an old man but I I, I miss just those dedicated classes but I think what it seems to have done is and this is an old man like complaint for Battlefield (laughs) but it's a case of no one fucking seems to play it as a team which I think when when there was a much more distinct like a weird metaphor but i think back in the day battlefield used to almost be like a jigsaw where there were big pieces that fitted together and now Mm. it's more of a mosaic in that like there's so many granular things you can change it's like i want i want to play as this specialist which means i get this i get a bulletproof shield or i get a um you know a sentry gun but there's no role for that character to play it's like you define the role and from a selfish point of view that's quite cool because you're like i want to be like the intel gatherer that's got loads of grenades so you can sort of say okay i'm gonna have use these gadgets which help me gain intel and i'm I'm also gonna have like a load of smoke grenades to Mm, like deny or you can say i'm just gonna be the guy that has so much ammunition on me that i can never stop shooting but it's like how does that help the team and i feel like unless you're playing this with a group of people that have all agreed, like, this is your role in the team. This 63 is your role of your team. friends. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but at least, you know, within, like, a squad, you could work. But I felt yeah. like no one was fucking playing medic. No mm-hmm. one was being, like, yeah. a dedicated anti-tank or I'm repair like, n- system. N- n- no no one is doing that all. And they've kind of... They've, they've shot themselves in the foot because then you have the other side, which is Battlefield Portal, mm-hmm. which people are now playing their favorite Battlefield games sort of remastered with those dedicated classes and no one wants to play 2042 because the maps aren't particularly yeah. great and those classes have been completely dissolved like well, it's, it's, <laughs> it was so weird going back like I you know the after I, I played some 2042 I was like let's see what Portal's all about went in but booted up um, the the um, the rush mode from Bad Company 2 it was on Arica yeah. Harbor my favorite map probably in <laughs> yeah. all of Battlefield and yeah. the fact that it opens up and it's just four classes and when I open it like my my medic looks like my medic used to look he's yeah, got exactly. the proper defibrillators when you play the engineer you've got a an anti-tank gun and a and a tool to fix your own tanks and like yeah. all of that like I felt like I got a role whereas before it was like make your own role in Battlefield 2042 mm-hmm. yeah. but also like hope for the best that everybody else has decided that they'll choose roles that help the team yeah i feel like a lot of these modern first person shoes especially you know the team-based stuff they've kind of lost that kind of just that dedicated role thing especially with um just like prior call of duties and battlefield where every character does like kind of looks the same you don't have like those kind of like dedicated like just looks for characters on opposing teams anymore Mm -hmm. because in battlefield 2042 everyone like 
group of 20 people can look like the same bloke all fighting each other yeah, at the same time. You don't have those just, clear silhouettes and that's what something mm-hmm. like Overwatch, yeah, you know, does it, so It well. just looks genuinely stupid. And the thing like, is... Like, no one's a fan of it. Yeah, the thing is, is you... I know you can do it because you, you play something like um, Rainbow Six, which does have a very mm-hmm. modern military thing, but the moment you see, like, the big motorcycle helmet and the pauldrons, like, you know that's a mirror. Yeah, or, yeah, like, yeah, the yeah. moment you see kind of, like, the weird headgear, you're like, oh, well, that's... Uh, is it... It's Jackal, isn't it? The guy that yeah. um, that that has got the hunting goggles on. Uh, you know, like Rainbow Six does that without giving up the modern military aesthetic. And I just wish, like, I think I've started to figure out, like, there are some specialists that do have that. Like the guy that's got the big riot shield, like yeah. he's wearing an almost Hurt Locker style um, bomb jacket, and you're like, okay. But I don't know what that tells me about that character other than the fact that he might whip out a bulletproof shield at some point. I don't know yeah. what equipment he's using. I don't know if he's an anti-tank. I don't know yeah, if yeah. he's an anti-infantry. I don't know mm-hmm. if he's a medic. And that's the thing, like, at least, you know, there is the benefit of being able to, like, perfectly curate and, you know, customize your character. So you can still be the sniper who heals or whatever, mm-hmm. but... It just, it ruins but, that team play when but, everyone is their but, own fucking Rambo. And that's Rambo. the inherent problem of something like... A lot of games, it means if everyone can do everything, it means ultimately a meta is going to be found and everyone's going to just choose the same loadout every time and it's going to be, yeah, it's going to become boring. Like, and that's like, we can compare it to Halo in a way because that is to me what the beauty, we talked about it last week, but I can't Mm. stop playing Halo. The beauty of Halo is everyone starts out as exactly the same character. So it forces you to like, you know, there is no class system, but you know, everyone is on an even playing field. There is no meta to really be found. And yeah, yeah, that's what like, yeah, this battlefield, I haven't played any of, I played a little bit of the beer and I was just bored. Like, just, I don't know. It wasn't doing a lot for me. It, it, it feels like they're not respecting our servicemen. And if, and if the minions (laughs) told us anything, it's the respect our servicemen. There's a a old reference for people. I won't go out on a complete bum note on battlefield though. I played some Hazard Zone and I actually quite liked it. I don't think mm. it's something I would dedicate a huge amount of time to. But the thing after playing the standard all-out warfare mode of 2042, it was nice to go into a game mode, which if anybody doesn't know how Hazard Zone works, it's it's kind of a mashup of Battle Royale and like the Hunt Showdown style of gameplay, yeah, which is yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, there's there's... I think it's eight teams of four drop onto a big map and all across the map there are sort of locations like there are in a battle royale and they've got items that you need to go and grab like data disks and then twice through the match there is an option to extract and your team then has to run and extract what you've got and not only are you fighting against the other teams to get those things but there are also uh, AI controlled like insurgency forces on the map. And the thing that I really liked about that mode was I landed as part of a team and the team stuck together and we fought as a team (laughs) because that's the whole idea of the game is like, it's the team. It's not just kind of like how many kills you got or I'm just going to run off and try and capture this point. It was your team has to stay together otherwise you're going to get eliminated and you're not going to win the game. And I found for once it all kind of clicked and it felt battlefieldy again, even though the yeah, things yeah, I was yeah. doing wasn't Battlefield. It was like, here's a unit of four people trying to work in unison and calling yeah. out what enemies they can see and moving across a big bit of terrain. And I was like, if I knew more people that played this, I could probably get into it. I still, I think since they moved to the Frostbite engine, Battlefield feels a bit overly heavy and weirdly floaty. So mm. 
if it got the gunplay of COD, I would literally be going out and telling people, get this game and let's play together. But there's just something about it. Like, it's a good idea that I hope is either picked up by Warzone or, or like, Halo. (laughs) Yeah, well, that's the problem they have, isn't it? That Halo launched for free the same week they Mm -hmm. launched. And I've seen, like, that's the problem. Like, Battlefield, it doesn't sound like a bad game. It just sounds like a boring one. And that's that's not what you want. No one wants to be bored when they're playing a game. And I've seen, like, seen the headlines, what it's like in the top 10 worst reviewed games on Steam or something. But that also seems in the most like, played as well. Yeah, but like that that seems like people really just having a moan. Like it's not broken or anything what I've heard. Like it's it, run it runs well, no, doesn't it? It's it's ha- it happens with Battlefield 4, um Battlefield 1 and 5 where it's mm. like the launch state of these Battlefield games, these prior ones have always been fairly rocky and then over time people end up saying, "Oh, this has been the best Battlefield since, you know, Battlefield 2 or whatever." It always happens yeah. with Battlefield games these days where it's that they balance isn't bre- it? Especially, I feel, yeah. in Battlefield, maybe with more than any other shooter, like, people who love Battlefield, like, really love Battlefield and mm. want it to always be what Battlefield is. But that's the hard balance the developers have, isn't it? Like, making it feel new, but also, if you change anything about Battlefield, people will be annoyed. But Yeah, like, even know. just removing, like, the leaderboard, people are going nuts about mm-hmm. that. Or not, like, you're not having any voice chat or being able to, I don't know, like, not having any the voice chat. and stuff. There's no voice chat. That is bad. In, in the world <laughs> of cross-play, because I am playing it cross-play, and it's like, I will always yeah. generally go to Discord for cross-play anyway, but yeah, yeah, yeah. the idea of not having... Uh, in-game voiceover IP on a cross-play seems bananas to me, but we right, are living yeah, in the so. world of COVID, so... Oh, well. Sounds like a disappointment. And- That's a shame. Yeah. But is there anything you really like about it, Jesse? Because we don't want to, like, just sit no, here no, shitting like, over someone's game. No, no, like, that's the thing. Like, I keep, like, launching... 2042 after work just to play because I love just you know being that anti-vehicle person or either just spending so much time in vehicles like getting in a tank you know rushing to the objective helping the teammates like it's a pretty looking game it sounds great as well and it's just it's it sounds cliche it's always fun to have those battlefield moments where you're in a tank and a jet's coming towards Mm -hmm. you and you know people are rushing in with vehicles and stuff like I love those moments and I'm still playing battlefield 2042 despite a lot of issues I'm seeing online I haven't experienced all of them but I've already told you guys what I feel anyway, but ultimately it's fun, just not as great as it could be, but that'll come with patches, mm-hmm. most likely. So you mm-hmm. think it's a game that like with patches will eventually turn into like at least a good tier Battlefield, if not yeah, a top yeah, tier? Yeah, 100%. The, the very same happened with Battlefield 4. That game was clapped at launch, and now mm-hmm. it's one of the most well-loved Battlefield games. Like, I have I no doubt they're the in same trouble can happen in the next couple of months. They, they may eventually turn it around, but yeah, they've got Halo, which yeah. everyone is playing. The new, yeah. the new Warzone map comes out in like two weeks, which people, you know, Call of Duty will see another rise for a few weeks, probably, of players. Not that it's ever really yeah. fallen off too much for that game. But yeah, I hope they turn around because I do like Dice and I always like what they try and do with games. It just seems like this one's gone a little bit awry. Yeah. yeah. But they do have like a decent timeline going for DLC where it's like for Portal, bring back 2142, bring back Vietnam, or even I don't know, Battlefield 2 maps as well. Like mm-hmm. it seems set in stone there easy enough for them to kind of grab, but mm-hmm. they just need to get those patches out to fix the game. Yeah, exactly. Cool. Right. From one thing that's kind of like a partial dud, but with real <laughs> promise for where it could go, to something that's just an all out dud, I'm afraid. Oh, we oh. don't need to talk about Jesse like that. <laughs> <laughs> no, but um, I know, I'm sorry, Jesse, because I know that you've got some hope for this, but. Mate, I knew going in that this wasn't going to be great. Like, Obviously, talking about Resident Evil and Welcome to Raccoon City. Obviously, <laughs> obviously, we're talking obviously. about that. Yeah. <laughs> but, go ahead, Matt. Yeah. What do you think about the film? Well, you will have noticed on on IGN.com um, that the um, 
the the review landed not so long ago. Mm. Um, and I believe we gave it, let me just IGM. Six. Same score six. as Licorice Pizza, isn't it? Why are we talking about that? <laughs> it's just what games are my <laughs> Uh, yeah, we gave it two days ago. Uh, Taylor, who reviewed it, gave it a six out of ten. She said it was mm. okay. Uh, sticks admirably she's a close. Massive Resi fan as well. Yeah, mm-hmm. sticks admirably close to its source material, but an overly stuffed story in a rushed third act hold it back. Um, yeah. I would say the fact that it's just kind of a badly written script that's kind of mediocrely directed is probably the thing that holds it back the most. So, I was, was going to ask, like, how rushed does this film feel? Because like. I think every fan has always echoed it that you have the formula of do Resident Evil 1 as a film. Mm -hmm. If that does well, do two and then three and then you can do whatever you want afterwards. But since they've like mashed Resident Evil 1 and 2 together, like how much does it suffer for it? To me, that's kind of like like its ultimate sin is that it's actually it's a bit boring and kind of feels... (laughs) That's what you want. (laughs) It is like the... If I was a, like, because I do like Resident Evil, but let's imagine I was mm. a Resident Evil super fan and I went to uni and I did film production <laughs> and I made my Resi fan movie as, like, my final oh, it'll project. Be like that. It does feel a bit like that. Like, the the oh, complaints about it looking slightly cosplay-y does, oh, like, run through. And they obviously were not given a good effects budget because, oh boy, do the liquors and uh, stuff like that look bad. Um <sighs> But also kind of like it never explores its characters because what it's trying to do is it's trying to tell two stories. So you never really get anything more about Leon other than the fact that, oh, he's the rookie. And because you're not spending any time with him, you don't. Resident Evil characters are not super beyond the surface. Like they're all kind of designed (laughs) as archetypes. But there is more to these characters than just like what you write on paper when you're filling in a form about them. Yeah, and their first games will then, you know, launch into like a storied kind of fucking history with these guys. And Mm -hmm. the fact that they've just like crashed these two games into Tell me about the zombos. What are the zombos like? Yeah, are the zombies actually good? I mean, I wouldn't say they're scary. They are at least like humans. Like, Have you ever been scared by a zombie though? Has anyone ever really been? I'm not talking about real real zombies, obviously, don't we? Well, as far as we know, what what are the think, deep state not telling us? We don't know. But I feel like twenty eight like weeks later or twenty eight mm, days later, the zombies in that like are pretty yeah, fucked. I would hate to imagine myself. Yeah, in a, yeah, in yeah. That they're scenario. probably up there as scariest zombies. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Resident Evil zombies like you can you can outrun them with a brisk walk. I mean, they're, they're, they are definitely made a little faster in this. They're not they're not quite a shambly. But my key yeah. my key problem with it is that basically, so you've got it's trying to do the events of Resident Evil One, which is like Bravo team going to the Spencer Mansion right to investigate yeah. what happens, and it's also doing Leon's like it's not his first day on the job, but it's his like he's definitely like early into the job. Um, and like the idea of the city falling and also the William Birkin kind of storyline. But what mean, what it's also like a prequel to all of this. So what it does mean is, and I don't know if this was a budgetary concern thing. So you make sure that you don't have as much action going on. The Mm. first half is largely just people kind of sitting around going bit weird in Raccoon City, isn't it? That's what weird. I remember from Resident Evil, the really long convert, like dialogue <laughs> option scenes where you're just talking about, you know, should this triangle piece of the puzzle go in the triangle slot or do we need like <laughs> something else? I don't, I don't know. 
but my thing is, is it does things like there's like a long scene like in a bar which feels like it's designed to try and introduce like Leon, Wesker and Jill and kind of like set up there but it's just them just like talking about nonsense and it doesn't feel like it builds character and it yeah. doesn't feel like it builds story but what this means is that they, they don't actually go to the Spencer Mansion until kind of like about the halfway point um, which that largely which largely means that then you're very limited about what you can do in the Spencer Mansion because you're quite far through a film that yeah. is not actually that long. So, you know, kind of like, I won't spoil, obviously, like, if, you've, what, if you know the stories of Resident Evil, you <laughs> largely know where this is going. But yeah. I won't sort of spoil what you're going to see. But I will say, don't go in expecting, like, any of the cool shit that was under the Spencer Mansion. Don't expect any of those kind of fun moments. Just, just a dog jump through a window uh, no okay what's the point um, <laughs> and also from claire and leon's perspective don't expect to really see inside the police station because what you get is you get like the interior like foyer of it but so, there's no exploration of the halls there's no kind of like the helicopter crashing into the side of it so, so it's not really welcome to raccoon city it's more like here's a bit of raccoon city now we're gonna go <laughs> Jesse looks so confused and upset because I know how much this means to him. That's the thing, like, the Paul W.S. Anderson films, right? Yeah, it's better than those. I'll give it that. That's what I was going to say. Like, those films are, like, just complete dog shit. You had Mm -hmm. something a little bit unique with the first one, and then the second film, they pretty much just did, like, Resident Evil Nemesis and Mm -hmm. stuff. But to hear that, yeah. I want to see these characters actually, you know, struggle through something so terrifying as going through the Spencer Mansion and seeing those characters build up there. Not seeing them fucking around eating fucking sandwiches in a bar and stuff. <laughs> like, I don't need to see that. And that's the thing, like, with this film, because, you know, I'm very much love Resident Evil. I'm sure I'm going to pick up the Easter eggs and stuff yeah, like yeah. that. But that that doesn't make a film for me. Yeah. Like, you know, people are going to love that stuff, but that's not the reason why you know I'm going what, to well, watch it. You did actually touch on something very important there. And what do you think Wesker's favorite sandwich would be? <laughs> I feel like he's cucumber and tuna or something. Fucking that was just, weird. He, tuna mayo came to my head as well. He I, seems I was like thinking a boring it was a, dickhead. Yeah, yeah, I feel like tuna mayo. Maybe a bit of sweet <laughs> corn on a Thursday if he's feeling a bit frisky. Mm-hmm. I don't know. There are but, like... So like Wesker is in there and it's kind of like it's nice to see these characters. Like Barry Burton isn't, which I was quite surprised. Like, like Yeah, there's certain characters who are omitted just for just fuck it, who cares? Where's the love for Barry Burton? <laughs> but um yeah. and like it do, it splits it a bit so you don't have so much of the like Claire and Leon doing kind of like their A and B sort of plot lines <laughs> or anything. it doesn't yeah. quite do that. Um but like Chief Irons is in it. Uh, mm. I must say it does some stuff to kind of like set up the idea of because as we know from the games like umbrella are trying to contain it right yeah yeah it does like one scene to deal with that and then it's almost like they forgot that that was in the movie <laughs> so i just want to ask like uh, umbrella i don't know if it's what to be fair resident evil fucking storylines have been out here for 20 30 years now so it's not really like news mm-hmm. but do you not see Umbrella trying to contain it with like the UBCS because they have their own armed forces? Do you not see him like any of them? You are going to see some like hunk style looking dudes, blokes, but yeah, it very quickly forgets that it sets this plot line up and sort of like by the end <sighs> of it, you don't really get any like. The thing I like about those like initial stories and especially kind of the Resi Two one is the idea of it. it's like oh. They fucked up the water supply and they've destroyed this city and now they've got to do something about it. And whilst you do get resolution to that, 
Mm. And like there is a, a visual representation of that. I just feel like it never like connects the dots properly. And I think it is a game like it's a film that is designed for people that have played those games. Yes. Like if you've played them, you're gonna see all the references and you're gonna know like, oh, okay, I know what the reason why this thing happened with Chief yeah, Irons yeah, yeah. is related to what's happening here. Mm. But the whole cohesion of it, I just don't doesn't, don't think makes any sense if you haven't played the first two games. But if you have played the first two games, what you're getting here <laughs> is something that you basically didn't want. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's what I was going to ask as well. Like, is there any appeal to be had for someone who doesn't know much about Resi? Because you think about like, you know, good or decent zombie films. You have, you know, Dawn of the Dead, 28 mm. Days Later and stuff like that, where you're not really tied down to having fan service yeah. and stuff, you know? What you're going to get is if you've never played a Resident <sighs> Evil game, you're going to come in and go, why the fuck are there these two storylines <laughs> that barely, like, are connected, that don't really make sense, like, as why they're happening at the same time, um, that are only connected because there's an office in the police station where these stars people <laughs> are in it for so long. They're just sitting in that office for so long because oh they won't God. go on the fucking Resident Evil 1 mission. <laughs> it's like, just go on the mission. Get the film going. And they just don't. But that's exactly Sounds. what Taylor was saying in her review is that it means that, like, because so much of it is, like, I think from maybe the old old like horror school idea of like the alien doesn't turn up in alien until like 45 minutes to an hour mm -hmm. into that film and the whole yeah. point is to build that tension resi's not a series necessarily about tension in that way it's supposed to be a bit of a cheesy horror so yeah. get the get the cheesy horror moments going from the moment it starts please yeah it, it could have just been them in the helicopter and then the you know the dogs come out. They're in the forest and yeah. stuff. Like, just to see those twist moments. Twist it around. Lean. Start it how like a strong opening. It's how Resi Two starts with the uh, car crash. Like that is a and good you, opening. Yeah. So you do like, get all of like you get the helicopter. You get the the truck with the literally yeah. to the point where the burger looks so identical to the Resi Two <laughs> rendering <laughs> of the burger in the truck. You're yeah. gonna get all that, but like, I just ultimately think like all of these characters are like m so muted in this. They're so boring. There's only mm -hmm. really Leon that I liked in it. Mm. Um, and I just think like if just you watch just, a YouTube playthrough of someone yeah, playing it if you just <laughs> spent time like choose one of these stories because they sucked out for me what are the most interesting parts of those stories there's not the sense of discovery of the Spencer Mansion and there's not the sense of like gothic oppression of walking around this spooky police station that yeah yeah used because it used to be like an art gallery right so it's got these big mm. like vaulted ceilings and weird like clock tower moments like see that requires money and what you've said is that this film doesn't have any so, no like <laughs> largely saved to do the end which is very much taken quite a lot from resident evil 2 like yeah. you're gonna get like the subway cars and those kind of things. I'm just expecting shit to blah blah. Like I'm gonna watch this film just thinking this is another just right. standard and affair, and I'm just gonna I'm gonna enjoy it by turning my brain off and not having to worry about why the stories well, are fucked. This is only in cinemas as well, isn't it? At the moment, mm, it's not streaming. That it, is mad. It feels good luck like to a, him. good yeah. luck to him. <laughs> it does feel like a director DVD, unfortunately. Um, oh well, well this like, has been a lot of disappointments one after another, isn't it? I just like. <laughs> Just wish that I just even got like a glimmer of joy out of watching things that I know from the game appear on the <laughs> things. So bad. I'm That's sorry. The opposite, you know, you know, we've got we got our game. Not everything can be great. So that is a disappointment. Uh, not so much of a disappointment is Hawkeye, the new yes. Marvel show on Disney Plus. Have we all watched Hawkeye? 
I've I have watched the first. One. I've watched the first two because I'm committed to the calls, and I also have <laughs> the whole week off. So why wouldn't I, Matt? You've reviewed <laughs> it though. I am. I am back on MCU TV review duties. Um, I what am a, a big fan of the match fraction and. We'd normally, you know, you call them David Adger because that's what it looks like. But it's actually like David Aha. He's Spanish, um, so we'll uh-huh. try and give him the the correct Jews. Um, but the, this series takes a lot from their comic, which was the kind mm. of reinvention of Hawkeye as a much more, for my money, interesting kind of character, and united him with Kate Bishop, who is yeah. this kind of young archer that sees kind of like a lot in Hawkeye and kind of almost like mm-hmm. his protege and within the hawkeye tv show she's played by Haley steinfeld which i think is probably the most on-point casting that this entire casting, project yeah. has done since they cast chris evans <laughs> as captain america she's fantastic wow. and i really yeah, like absolutely. Um, i really like the opener as well how they actually it's not just oh she's a good archer they do a really good job of tying her instantly to Hawkeye from mm-hmm. like there's a open the show I'm not spoiling anything there's a flashback to when she's a child and that I think that's a really cool way that they've done that yeah mm-hmm. yeah um so what unfolds from there is Hawkeye is basically a Christmas show it's <laughs> kind of formulated around the old age classic of will dad get home in time for christmas <laughs> and the six episodes and each episode ticks down a day until christmas mm. like it opens with the idea it's six days to christmas um hawkeye is with his children in new york he's taken them to see um as you might have seen in the trailer there's like an of well steve rogers the musical um Not cheap looking musical yeah, as well cheap ass <laughs> i enjoyed i enjoyed the musical number in that i thought it was good stuff um but then his children are going back home to to go with his wife linda cardellini um yeah and basically hawkeye's like i'll be back i've just got a little bit to do in new york um and then kate bishop turns up and things go a little bit awry for mm-hmm. for poor hawkeye who basically just wants to go home and drink I you just called him paul hawkeye that'd <laughs> be great hawkeye. if his real name was paul hawkeye <laughs> I, I think i think I think that's one of the things I kind of appreciate about the opening of the first episode is just seeing these, you know, superheroes, um, despite Hawkeye being the more the most human out of mm-hmm. the most mm-hmm. of them, really, just in a more human setting. Like, he's he's basically distraught from previous battles. He's, you know, banged up. He's got a hearing aid and stuff. And you can't exactly make, you know, a show about superheroes having PTSD because that would be depressing as fuck. But well, they tried with Falcon more- Winter Soldier. Yeah, yeah. And it got quite <laughs> oh, dull. <and> yeah. <laughs> but I guess, like, sprinkles of that where you haven't seen that in any of the films is appreciated. Yeah, I think it probably goes well with the Christmas theme because obviously Christmas can sometimes be like a melancholic sort of time, especially if you can't spend it with your family. And Mm -hmm. Hawkeye, basically, because Kate Bishop turns up and we won't spoil it for anybody that hasn't watched it, but kind of means that he has to stay in the city now. Mm. um, He kind of like, it does sort of suit that thing. And like, obviously the death of Black Widow is kind of hovering over him. Like he was there when, when Black Widow kind of died in Endgame. Uh, and like you say, kind of like in the comics, Hawkeye is death. Um, kind of, is, it was a big oh, part of the that. Matt Fraction and, and David Aha run, mm. um, and has been part of Hawkeye's backstory going back to like 1983. I think was the first time that he was made death. Oh wow! Okay. Um, and like in the show, they actually show it. Like he's got a hearing aid in the show. It's explained like what else do you expect? He's been in the firing line. Like <laughs> in Endgame, he's like underneath where kind of like mm-hmm. the fucking. Um, 
Thanos's capital ship like crashes into well shoots yeah. up and blows up the Avengers compound. Um, so of course he's got hearing damage. Like it's only yeah, natural. Yeah. He's a human. Um, it does one thing that I really like, which is it recognizes that Hawkeye is a bit boring and kind of yeah. needs a bit of a reinvention. There is a lovely scene. Uh, is it in the episode that you've watched, or is it in the second episode, Jesse, where they're in? It, Have you not seen it yet? No, but I've seen it like on. I've seen that actual clip, yeah. which I'm kind of like. It's, it's been. A, it's yeah. It's been around, but there's there's a lovely bit where they're in New York. They're in New York and in Times Square, and there's a group of cosplayers, and and uh, Kate Bishop's like, look, people love like like there are people there dressing at you, and he's like, no, look. The archer among this group of Avengers cosplayers is actually Katniss Everdeen from the Hunger Games. <laughs> and it's this kind of fun recognition that, like, while there are people that are out there that admire him, like, he's nobody's necessarily really going to bat for Hawkeye all the time. And it's kind of this cheeky in-universe nod to the fact that, like, we know he's just the dude with the bow and arrow. We know you like Tony Stark. We know you like Chris. Um, you know you like Captain America yeah. and all of that. But we're going to try and do something to make him a bit more fun. And mm. Kate is positioned as this more wild card, like very loose cannon archer who's constantly getting herself into trouble. She's positioned as a sort of the person that's going to push him into a more interesting kind of position. And yeah. I think, like, you know, hands up, I, f I think that Hawkeye is quite boring in the MCU. I don't think Jeremy mm -hmm. Renner, like, makes him particularly interesting. No. This could be I've the show liked, that makes him empathetic and makes him I worth always, caring about. Yeah, like yeah. I liked him when he was being like him and Black Widow scenes are always his best bits because he's showing genuine emotion. He has something to care about, whereas other times it just feels like yeah, he is along for the ride. And like it is nice to see him get a bit of because I do think he's a good actor. He's just not had a lot to do with Hawkeye in the MCU films for, and he is getting more to do in this. I like mm. in. Like the second episode, there is a bit where I I really like the first episode and I do like the second episode a lot. There was there's a section of it though I was just like this is a bit silly. What are we doing here? <laughs> like this is like I know I know he's not the cool. He's just a man. He's a dad and he's not the coolest Avenger. He is still an Avenger. He would not have to do what he's doing here, which kind of almost goes into like silly sitcom territory at times. Um, sure, oh, I, I think, think I know the bit Matt's talking, talking about. about. Yeah, yeah, um, like like in the second. Yeah, mm. it's but I I'm really enjoying it. Yeah, it's a solid start. I yeah so far it's it's the I think we spoke about it before it's the same as all the other TV shows where they're all solid like seven like good they're just very enjoyable they don't seem like they're going to change the MCU in big ways this one not necessarily I don't think is meant to it's just meant no, to be a nice I, Christmas show I think the thing that I like is it pays so much lip service to those comics to the point that like the opening credits are literally drawn in the art style of the covers mm -hmm. of those comics and the whole great, the great thing about those Hawkeye comics was that they weren't trying to change the MCU. And it's what I like about the comics in general. A lot of people, and I've seen reviews around Hawkeye that have really slammed it because they're like, it's completely inessential. But the thing is, that's how so Marvel all comics television. works. <laughs> well, yeah. yeah, there is that. But the thing is, is when you, I think if you come from the world of comics, not every comic is designed to be essential. It's just like, if you like this character, here's like a really cool run where mm -hmm. they're doing things. It's not moving and shaking the Marvel universe as we know it and yeah. causing Thanos exactly. to come down. Or like, sometimes it's just good to have a character-focused piece that doesn't have to worry about the overall storyline of the exactly. Marvel universe. Well, it was just very refreshing for me compared... So last week, I actually saw Eternals, which we haven't spoken mm -hmm. about. I'll very briefly talk about Eternals, which I just found to be quite boring and quite 
quite a trudge. Like mm. it's like, and that's got massive, grand, universal like ideas and things it's trying oh, okay. to get across. Like, and it's just a bit of a boring mess to me. Like, there, there's bits to like about that film, but for large portions of it, I was I was just bored. I think something went wrong with that film. But mm. it's just nice to be back on solid ground. In yeah, like. And try, yeah, it made me feel quite Christmassy. I know we're still weeks away from Christmas, but it had sort of that, you know, Christmas in New York. I just think of Home Alone too, and then mm-hmm. I think of Christmas, and that yeah, it's mm. just it's just very nice. Yeah, there might be a bit of that Home Alone to it as well, because like Kate has that sort of vibe, right? Like she's yeah, like like using tools that she shouldn't be using and getting into like adult mm-hmm. like I say adult yeah, yeah. she is obviously like 22 years old or whatever but getting into the business of her like very very rich mother and like mm-hmm. all of the kind of like security business that she runs there is yeah. that kind of vague home alone vibe to it and I just like I can't stress enough how fucking brilliant Haley Steinfeld is in this she is exactly what I thought that character would be when I read that character on the page the way that she is in this show is that. And I think, like, I do think her actual family problems are a bit boring and I hope that they get a lot more interesting as the show goes on because I think that's, mm. like, a weaker side of the show at the moment. But when she's with Hawkeye and just forcing him to get into trouble that he doesn't want to be in, I think it's got such a zippy tone to it and it's really quite joyful. And I hope mm-hmm. it, it emphasises that rather than its lesser side. Exactly. I'm looking forward to it every week, which... I haven't yeah I wasn't necessarily like I haven't still watched all of what if I wasn't overly into those like mm, it's just yeah, nice to have something weekly to watch yeah yeah uh, what if was one which I started on the bandwagon of I loved the idea of lots of different uh, ideas and then as it went on I became less and less invested in it Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway, something that I think you are invested in, Cardi, are the Beatles. Yes. I I do like the Beatles, little known band from the UK. Uh, had a few hits in the sixties. Um, yeah, I, well, if you ask me, they're the greatest band that ever lived. But that's not really an unoriginal opinion, and it's one that actually gets people quite angry when uh, when you say you like the Beatles. Sometimes weirdly, but uh, yeah, I love the Beatles, and Peter Jackson has been teasing this for a long time now. It's kind of a doc- it's a documentary that was originally just meant to be a two-hour film in cinemas, which he did, of course, the usual Peter Jackson thing do- of doing, split it into three parts and now made it eight hours long. <laughs> Jesus um, Christ. <laughs> so today, we're recording this on Thursday, today part one dropped. I'm two hours into it. It's two and a half hours long, the first part. So I'm, I'm enjoying it a lot. And But with that eight hours comes the inherent issues so the setup for this documentary is it gives you right at the start a 10 minute like very brief like whistle stop tour of the beatles history from like 1960 to 1969 where this documentary is set it's them having not played a live show in a few years after stop touring just because they weren't enjoying it anymore and no one's actually listening to their music just screaming (laughs) um so they've released a few albums in that time and they're planning their new album and they're planning right. to do with their first live performance in a long time and they're kind of building up to that and with two weeks to go they're still writing songs for this show and this album and part of the joy of this is you're seeing all this there's 60 hours of footage they found that was filmed during this run-up um that they've cut down to eight hours but restored it and he's kind of done the job he did but not quite to the same extent of when he made the world War one film um is it yeah. we shall but- remember they shall be rem- they shall yeah. grow old they shall not grow old that's mm-hmm. it they shall not grow old um and yeah it looks amazing it sounds amazing and as a big beatles fan like abbey road and let it be 
two of my favorite Beatles albums and you're seeing a lot of those songs being rings so they were kind of made in a weird like all in one go in a weird way over the same time mm. like being written together almost although they were released at separate times and i'm seeing some of my favorite beatles songs kind of being written before my eyes and like paul mccartney just like fiddling with his guitar and coming up with like little patterns and like it's interesting to see that but yeah the inherent problem is this already this first episode is two and a half hours long covers the first seven days of this period and got peter jackson needs an editor like I'm not saying I should do it, I'd happily do it, but like although all of it is kind of interesting to me as a Beatles fan seeing all these little conversations, there's like whole 10 minute long like little nattering conversations between like George Harrison and John Lennon and Paul McCartney and Ringo Starr that could be cut down to one minute soundbite of like this is in essence of what they're being they're speaking about here. They keep yeah. this quite they have one of their um I can't remember if he's the producer or their new manager. He's kind of part of the record. It keeps suggesting they do this live show in an amphitheater in Libya. Um, with, <laughs> and he keeps saying, imagine it, torch lit with 200 Arabians. It's like, what's going on? And everyone's just like, and Ringo's just like, I'm not going abroad. And like, obviously the build up to this is the very famous Beatles concert of them on top of the Apple building in central London. Like that is where this i imagine this whole series is going to crescendo at the end is this mm. live show in full which i can't wait to see because i've only ever seen bits of it and not properly remastered but yeah i'm just even as a huge Beatles beatles fan i'm just like this is a bit of a schlep like i can't like move this along like second part is tomorrow third part is saturday so they're releasing them three okay. parts over three days of course i'm gonna watch it all but it's turned from something that i was like I sat down, no distractions. I'm going to soak this all in to within half an hour. I was like on my phone. I was like, come, like, I'm, let's move this along. Like, I'm getting little bits of the songs. Like, I'm hearing I've got a feeling and Don't Let Me Down, which are like two of my favorite songs. But then I'm also mm. getting 15 minutes of them talking about, like, oh, should we get the eight track machine in now or should we get it in <laughs> later? I'm just like, I don't. Like, to some people, this will be the best thing ever. It, this should be the best thing ever to me. I'm still having, I will caveat, I'm still having a very good time. I just just cut just cut out you know there's some rough edges but yeah 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 right. i would say like although it does give you a brief history of the beatles like you won't be lost if you want to watch this and you're not a beatles fan i don't think that, you'll that be getting be a lot yeah i don't think you'll be getting a lot of, unless you really know let it be and abbey road mm. like i don't think you're getting a whole lot from this if you're not into the beatles for me it's more just of like i want to see that creative process on screen kind of like yeah. unscripted and compared it is, to because i don't have much love for the beatles but it'll be interesting to see that it is very interesting to see how yeah some of the greatest songwriters ever sitting there just fiddling with guitars and pianos and going oh what if we did this and you're hearing different lyrics to songs you know well that is very yeah. interesting but at the same time if you don't know these songs i imagine it could be a little bit tedious <laughs> <laughs> but yeah the i but, Sorry, did you I also watched another say? Netflix I was about to musical say, related film. The, there's which, other artistic merits going on on exactly, Netflix at the moment, which, isn't there? Exactly. It's, it's quite closely linked. I watched Tick Tick Boom, which is Lin Manuel Miranda's first film as a director. He actually he never, you know, didn't direct the film of Hamilton or um, In the Heights. Oh, nice. But um, those are both, I really enjoy both of those. They're very fun. Mm. 
Tick, Tick, Boom is the story of Jonathan Larson, who is the creator of the musical Rent, which is a very beloved musical. I don't actually, I've never seen Rent, so I just went into this thinking this will be a fun Lin-Manuel Miranda kind of musical biopic film. It's yeah. kind of not. I also found it quite <laughs> a, a bit boring, sadly. Um, one thing I will say is Andrew Garfield plays Jonathan Larson. Andrew Garfield is absolutely fantastic. Like, I think he's always brilliant, to be fair, but <laughs> he's going for this, like he's singing. He's like, just like two hours of pure, just this ball of nervous energy. It's, He's amazing. But it just is it actually him singing? I believe so. I didn't look it up. It sounds like it's him. I'd be surprised if it oh, wasn't. Yeah. Um, I've never known him to be a singer, but that's interesting. Yeah, but the, the problem is that kind of it's it's all about the creative process, but it's not necessarily the creative process of Rent. It's all about him when he's about to turn 30 and he's developing his first musical, which is called Superbia. And a lot of the songs from this are from Superbia, which just aren't really great they're fine i think they don't yeah. grab you they're kind of very traditional like musical theater songs and that's what a lot of the songs are in this you're not getting really that lin-manuel miranda that you kind of know his songs like a lot of hip-hop influences song a lot of dance music a lot of sort of like caribbean like flavors to a lot of his songs in his films like this is just very much using Jonathan Larson's music and it's mainly Andrew Garfield and a piano and I don't know I expected it to be quite fun it's not very fun it's kind of quite a serious biopic and (laughs) tackles some issues that were prevalent in the 90s and yeah I was just maybe I was just in the wrong zone I was going in expecting one thing and I got something else not a bad film I just thought I was kind of I didn't find that that creative process was necessarily that interesting to me. It's just kind of watching one man struggle to write a musical for two hours. So it Great. Seems like the Beatles. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, but the, the problem is the Beatles made some of the best music ever. And yeah, yeah, so yeah. I don't think the music from Superbia, the, the <laughs> a musical that didn't even get picked up by broad, Broadway is, is as good. It's a shame. Yeah. But as I said, I think Andrew Garfield is absolutely brilliant in it. He is. Uh, he seems a nice man. I've seen the clip that's going around of him talking about art and grief, which is yeah. like a two-minute forty clip of him with Stephen Colbert that will basically make you cry within that space. It's <laughs> yeah. He's, he's, he seems a guy that's like really plugged in. Mm-hmm. I, I like Andrew Garfield a lot. Yep. Um. Anyway, it's maybe we'll uh, see him in Spider-Man soon. Yeah. Well, Who knows? we're definitely hoping for it. <laughs> Bring him back. Bring him back. Um. <laughs> It is, uh, for obviously none of you lot that are listening know exactly where we are in time and space. Uh, It's after hours on a Thursday evening. Uh, I'm making the executive decision. We're canning off the endless search this week. Yeah, Spurs do kick off in three minutes. So that, you know, this is how much this podcast means to me that I'm (laughs) running into the start of a Spurs match versus the mighty NS Mura of Slovenia, may I add? Well, we'll get on (laughs) with it then. We're going straight into feedback. I'm going to go first. I've got one in here from Scott Zeal, who says, Hey all, love the show as always. Very quick, just on what Joe mentioned about non-gamers struggling with either gaming controls or not understanding regular mechanics in games. Last night, my girlfriend was watching me play Forza Horizon 5 and asked if she could have a go. She doesn't play games and actively dislikes whenever (laughs) whenever I've tried to get us to play something together, so I was excited that she took an interest. I went back to the garage and bought her real-world car in the game so that she could drive that. We paint it, get it, <laughs> we paint it, we get it ready to drive, and then once it's out in the open world, I hand her the controller. 
controller in hand and looking at the car, she immediately pulls left trigger, which is brake and reverse, and we see the car hurtle backwards towards the camera (laughs) and smash into something. I chuckled and asked why did she press reverse, to which she responded, well, how do I know which button is accelerate? I stopped for a moment and couldn't justify at all why her choice was wrong. (laughs) I did wonder if maybe the triggers represent the real-world position of car pedals with accelerate on Mm. the right and brake on the left, but otherwise I had never thought about it before. Thanks as always, and for God's sake, respect the sea. From Scott. Now, originally, I did think of that thing of like, well, it's 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 accelerate yeah. because it's on the right. It's what you put with yeah. your right foot. But that's actually, in the grand scheme of games, is a reasonably modern invention to have accelerate mm-hmm. on the triggers. It used to just be think, X. Yeah, yeah, X used to be yeah, Go. Yeah. And yeah. so you wouldn't fucking think about that, would you, if you'd never played a video game I don't game know, before? I suppose it's <laughs> one of those things that's... You just know, isn't it? It's like you say, it's just second nature. Like, yeah, I, it's really I weird. think the primary think function on a controller is going to be R2, whether it's a gun trigger or an accelerate. I just know that that's going to be there. I mean, well, I think mm. the prevalence of shooters and the idea that shooters are on triggers, because they've pretty much always yeah. for first person games, as long as there have been triggers on controllers, they've used them. And I think yeah. because shooters became such a big deal post Halo. They were then like, okay, well, like the trigger has become like the dominant thing. Like you pull your right finger mm-hmm. to trigger. So then I think it then made so much sense to put accelerate on there. I think also like just from memory, like holding an X to accelerate for minutes long around a track, that can hurt your thumb after a yeah. while. Like yeah, holding 100%. a trigger doesn't really hurt. Um, it's too why. Much. Like in Avengers, I immediately remapped like the punch to the triggers because it's like I can use triggers a lot more easily mm-hmm. than I can slamming face buttons. Oh, and if the sense. thing that I'm doing most of the time is hitting things, yeah. I do that. Makes yeah, sense. I've never, I've never done that for anything other than a racing game. That that's that's funky. Hmm. Makes sense. funky. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on, Jesse, you've got got a nice one here from Matt Buckner. Yeah, he goes on to say, Hi guys, first of all, a lot of people write in and sound very well written. This isn't my case, but you seem friendly enough not to mind. It's a good start. I know it's not even... De- it is. I know it's not even December yet, but bear with me. I'm trying to prepare a very personal and weird Christmas present for my boyfriend and I could really use some help. My partner and I have been addicted to you guys' voice since we discovered the podcast and really enjoy your chats, but he gets a bit lost when you talk about food because we live in and he hasn't tried out this magical leisure food. My idea is to scan the area to try and find the delicacies you mentioned in previous episodes. Uh, Packaged Flapjack, Muller Corners, Walker Crisps. I even managed to get my hands on... Does that say Nopper? On a Knopper. It's uh, pronounced Knopper, I found out. Yeah, Knopper, um, yeah. You, right, you need okay. to listen to this podcast. So you're missing out on Knopper knowledge. <laughs> knowledge. Unbelievable. Yeah. It would be great if you could recommend some more of the British leisure foods that you think represents British everything a... Food something should know about our rich british culture or that is just proper tasty whatever you like mm. i live about 50 oh god doesn't live too far from the sea bike past it every day and i can tell you that fucker must be respected thanks so much for your help and for all the laughs you bring to us on a weekly basis british leisure foods what can we um what uh, uh walker's crisps i would suggest uh you get some hot and spicy knickknacks would you consider um, pork scratchings, maybe? I don't know if that's you a You would bit consider too, like, that British. Mm. I don't like them, though. Um, scampi yeah, fries. I love them. 
the crisp scampi fries and um, frazzles or bacon the, rashes. These do all seem like, like shit that old people eat rather than like like yeah. Muller Corners, Walker's Crisp, <laughs> Package Flapjack. Like they don't have like a boomer association with them. Well, what, what's uh, the like young know. hip food that you would suggest? I I'm trying to think of what? something that's just nothing so, British like katsu curry. Beef yeah. Wellington, <laughs> avocado. I don't. Yeah, um, <laughs> I don't think I don't think we could suggest beef Wellington as a leisure food. No, saurine malt loaves. Saurine is banging to be fair. Um, chocolate mini rolls, uh, always good. Uh, Crisp sandwich. God, yeah, I've been. Uh, maybe over the next week or two, we we think about this and we come back with a oh, few Jaffa more cakes. leisure foods. Jaffa, Jaffa cakes. cakes. That's a Absolute great shout. Jaffa cakes. Yep, we'll, jammy, maybe jammy we'll come Dodger. back with some suggestions over because I'm sure people like Dale, Al, Emma, um, who do I miss? Joe, Joe, <laughs> Joe. <laughs> miss Joe there. Um, he'll have definitely have some suggestions for this, so we'll we'll come back and we'll 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 think of some British leisure leisure foods, uh, fruit pastels or wine gums. Are they British or are they just general? They're Maynards, aren't they? So yeah. British company, but. I don't know. Yeah. I've got the last email here from Cody Miller. As always, you can send in your feedback to IGN underscore UK feedback at IGN.com. Cody says, hi there, UK team. Love the pod. Been listening for ages. Just a small moment made me laugh this week during the endless starch. The clue was open world survival where you go from one alcoholic drink to the next. And me playing along shouted, it's Winecraft, you dum-dums. That would also have worked very well. <laughs> when to my surprise, Matt, Guest Pub Nautica. Was it you, Matt, who guessed Pub Nautica? I think it I was, it was yeah. Jesse. Absolutely, Matt would have done was it? that. Oh, there we go. I was tickled to find there was more than one correct answer. I also can't wait to watch Licorice Pizza, but I'm surprised that you lot didn't <laughs> seem to get the reference. Licorice Pizza is a slam term for a record because it's black and circular, which is why it's the name of the record store. I did actually know that. I'm I didn't know I will that, admit that, but, but I, was, I was asking these two. Mm. I just want people to know I do know my licorice pizza knowledge. Um, I'll That's see good, your best, best film in a long time, so you should definitely go and see that. All the best <laughs> and respect the S-E-A. Respect the C. Fantastic. Oh, thank you, Cody. What an enjoyable podcast that i've gone back into hosting mode matt you, you take us out cardi so i take us out yeah well, i think there's only one bit of music we can really end this week and it's got to be a bit of beatles because rarely will i ever get the chance to have some beatles on. On is, is, is there like a christmas beatles tune absolutely or does that not really well, there exist? might be but why don't we go with because the beatles documentary is called beatles get back why don't we go with like the first 30 40 seconds of the song get back which is absolute an absolute banger, banger. i yeah. i support this move let's do it <laughs> Goodbye. Right. See ya. Bye.